Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to a bonus episode of Nerds Podcast number 502. We're going to get right into this. Not going to promote anything. There's no sponsorship spot. We're going to get right into this. Game of Thrones is premiering tomorrow, as of the time that this goes up. And so we thought it'd be fun to have kind of a Game of Thrones-themed episode through the lens of... Uh, through an academic lens. Maybe that'd be fun to do a Game of Thrones episode through an academic lens. There's a guy named David J. Peterson. He created the Dothraki language for Game of Thrones. He creates fake but real-sounding languages based on real language rules, but then just with fake topping, uh, just so that, you know. I love making fake languages. I do it all the time. Make one now. Uh, tell me a phrase to say. Um, I'm sorry, sir. I, we're all out of pizza. Would you care for this cannoli? I think you're using naknest in the wrong... Uh, I think there's a little bit of a syntax problem. Oh, well, you too. <laughs> there are way more syllables than that. I mean, there are way more yeah, consonants yeah, yeah. than that. I think that was like only letters that aren't used in the... Uh, that's one of my favorite things to do is to try and scatting with only consonants. Try it. I think a joy buzzer is really like scatting with So here's David J. Peterson in a bonus episode of the Nerdist Podcast, episode number 502. Now entering Nerdist.com. We have a guest here, guys. And we're <laughs> Let's just start talk- the podcast. We're just start the talk- podcast now. We're just talking about old Monty Python things. Although, do you know what we're talking about? Uh, no. I will tell you this. I now know that the name Toad the Wet Sprocket is a Python reference. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know that because I lost at, uh, at our weekly trivia game <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> They're really pulling out some timely references. <laughs> Wait, what was the question? Oh, it was uh, band etymology. So they were like, you know, here's the band name. Where did it come uh, from? Oh, gotcha. wow. Multiple choice yeah. or? Or some of the other ones. No, no, there was no multiple choice. Gotcha. It was just, uh, well, uh, the first one was, uh, was where uh, Steely Dan came from. It was a vibrator, and, right? Yes, mm-hmm. from Naked Lunch. And uh, I, I take credit on that one because that's the one where I actually read read it uh then there was because uh, uh, I, I read naked lunch let's see there was uh, radiohead which is from the you know the talking, talking heads, heads. Yeah. um let's see i'm trying to think of the other ones i got uh lady gaga on there it's a nickname right no, she got it from queen radio gaga oh i thought it was a nickname because of her name gaga goo <laughs> isn't her la- what's her last name i don't italian Yep, her, her her name is Nicole Italian. Yep. What is that Italian? That ga 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 whatever you guys are saying. Oh, that's pretty good. I thought her name Lady was just Violet Gaga. <laughs> it's, it was Violet Gaga. Um, yes, the uh, but can I say that I miss Toad the Wet Sprocket? I really liked that band when I was younger. Weren't they playing when we were in uh, Dallas last time? And I was saying like, and some guy was like, you know, if we go now, we could probably catch yeah. the last part of their set. Yeah. What? Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, that we had to say hi to fans. Ugh. 
<laughs> Jonah, we're recording. Oh, sorry. You can't let people know your true feelings. We had to say hi to idiots. <laughs> Jonah, that's what? way worse. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're trying to figure out how to, how to one-up that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had to say hi to fucking morons. <laughs> Throwing up. That was a little much, the throw up at the end. You know, Jonah, I one up. what that could have used is a fake language. Good seg. Sweet! David nice. Peterson. I think the seg would have been when we were talking fake Italian. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> that's just me. Why didn't you jump in, David? That was the perfect opportunity. Ah, molto bene. Molto bene. Hey, hey that's real. Little, Stop yeah. it. That's real. Stop <laughs> saying real languages. Molted banana. No, no, no. It's, it's fake when I say it because I don't speak Italian. Gotcha. Molto bene. What would fake English sound like? Uh, oh, there's a there's a great video. Yeah, the guy who's an Italian. Um, what's the what's the name of the dude? I can't remember, but it's uh he's doing just right. English yeah. gibberish. I said it yeah. to you. Yeah. 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 Okay, okay, you've seen it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so then we all That's know what, what it would sound like. We all know what we're talking about. You know Google. who's amazing at that is Reggie Watts. Reggie, I've seen an amazing is the go, word for that. Okay, go through this whole thing where he'll it's like it's French and then it goes into like Russian and then Italian and then but it's all gibberish. But it sounds the cadence of it all sounds and the. The, the the word forms that he's yeah. using all sound like he's speaking, and he speaks really fast, so it, right. uh, it's good. So you should look up Reggie Watts. All right, I like that. How many – so you're – essentially you create fake languages for film and television and how, in, how much – so first of all, let's start with what have you created. You created <laughs> Dothraki, right? Yeah, yeah, I did that one. I did that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be funny. You get me here. No, 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 no. No, I just, uh, I just edited the scripts. <laughs> what? Uh, That's it? No. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dothraki uh, for for season three of Game of Thrones. I did uh, High Valyrian, and then uh, a language descended from it, uh, a, a Low Valyrian variant, and then uh, for Defiance, Castathan uh, and Arathiant. Wow. Defiance on sci-fi. I don't know if anybody watches it. It's cool. And I I, I'm, I'm positive that people are listening, uh, some of the people listening watch Defiance. Bless you, all of you. <laughs> <laughs> so were you a linguistics professor? Uh, no. Uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, I, I got to, you know, I went to college to be an English major because that's what I wanted to do. Um, and then I kind of uh, fell into linguistics, uh, mainly on my mother's urging, kind of to get her off my back. I took a linguistics class, and I kind of took to it. <laughs> she uh, wasn't satisfied with the English? No, no. Okay. Who would be, honestly? Um, <laughs> yes, but why do people use the words that we use? <laughs> you, know, you know, the thing that I really liked about it, if you're, you know, if you're an English major, um, all of your classes are the same, right? You're, you're reading stuff. You're discussing it, and then you're writing long papers about it. So then when I got to linguistics, and it's like, here's your homework, and it was like an actual sheet of paper. And it's like, wow, there are problems in here, and they're, they have to do with language, and it's this easy? And it's like, my goodness, this is just, this is just heaven. And so um, I just kept up with it. And it continued being uh, just easy and fun, and, and then, you know, progressively harder. Then I got to graduate school and realized, oh, they actually want you to do research, and like that's what you're supposed to do. And I was like, ah, but uh, anyway. So what? Well, made it up. Uh, so how do you I wish? So how do you go from that to like what? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So yeah, I was creating languages the whole time. So when I, when I started with linguistics, that was when I started creating languages. <laughs> That was your Kaiser so saying. I've been creating languages the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, it was just, I don't know, it kind of uh, it kind of hit me when I was taking my first linguistics class that I could create a language uh, that was just for my personal use. Because, you know, I was familiar with um, Esperanto and uh, Volapük at that time. Volapük is an Esperanto. Well, it, was, it came before Esperanto, but it was terrible. Um, and the guy who created it was a nut. Um, Esperanto was much more successful. Those were created for international communication, but I thought, well, I could create a language that's just for my personal use. And I thought that I was the first person ever to hit on this idea because, you know, back then the Internet was still small. Um, but uh, anyway, and then I just uh, I, I started it, and I was like, oh, wow. After, like, a few years, I realized, wow, I'm just doing this. Like, this is, this is what I do when I'm not doing anything else. Uh, well, okay, I guess... This is going to be the rest of my life. But what life. do you do? Or do you teach someone else your language? Or was it just no. to have private conversations with yourself about okay, things? Okay, yeah, yeah, that was that was at first. At, at first, I, I, I had this, this girlfriend that I don't have anymore. Um, and uh, my idea was that I would create this language and we would speak it with one another. Yeah, and just to I, piss people off in public because they didn't know what you were saying. Yeah, uh, and um, <laughs> it's a good way to make fun of people. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, when I when I presented it to her, she was like, oh. That's cool. And um, 
That was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work out. So Did you well. break up with her in your language? Oh no, no, that one was in English. Oh, what an ugly day that was. Ah, oh, poor girl. Anyway, uh, but Let's you know, go it, back you there know, it, now. she's as far as I know. As far as what I can glean from Facebook, she is in a nice, stable relationship with a guy that looks like much more of an adult than I do. So um, I think she's quite happy. So I'm, I'm feeling okay there. Well, I'm glad to know that Facebook had a use in that case yeah. that seemed relatively positive. And that does it for our Facebook check-in with ex-girlfriends. Uh, <laughs> none of my ex-girlfriends are on Facebook. That's what you think. Well, or they're married. Lisa Loeb's fan page is very active on Facebook. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. I was... Lisa Loeb, oh my god. Like uh, She was just like the pinnacle for me when I was in, in junior high. I was like, this is the hottest person I've ever seen. You should high-five Chris right now. Yeah. No, let's, <laughs> let's calm down. Let's all just take a step back. Then there was Daria. Actually, let's just, Matt, take a step back. <laughs> then there was Tina Fey. <laughs> Tina! I gotta it's stop. quite the gap between uh, girls. What? No, Tina Fey was... Well, was Daria in... doesn't age. She's a cartoon. Yes! <laughs> no, but also Tina Fey was on SNL. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was that was that was when I. But not until like the. It was when I was in high school, so it 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 could only have been like three or four years uh, at the very most. But she was doing the uh, the weekend updates. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So you went from Loeb to Faye. Yeah. Um, then I got married. What? Uh, oh, so you did? You married? You? Oh, yeah. You're yeah. Good. You got a wedding ring on. You're married yeah, yeah, yeah. there. Um, Could be a secret wedding ring. He only uses for himself. It's possible. <laughs> I I just I I want to I want to try to understand. How someone creates a language that I mean, as said, it seems like one of those things that most people go, oh, how fucking hard is that? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then you realize, like, no, actually, you still have to get because I studied, I, 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 I went to all boys Catholic school, so I studied Latin, mm-hmm. which you know, the, my, my thinking was, oh, if I ever want to learn another romance language, I'll have a really basic understanding of how to do that, and it'll make that a lot easier because mm-hmm. it's much more complex yeah. and uh. In theory, that would have been helpful had I gone on to learn other languages. Actually, I did study <laughs> Italian in college, and that made it tremendously easier because oh, there you of, go. all the the forms are a lot simpler than, than yeah. they, they are in, in Latin. And so it's like, oh, okay. But I but I will say that studying studying a language like that that is you know fifty four percent the basis of our language, even though you're going to have to explain to me why English is a Germanic language, but yep. over half of it is Romance based. It's just words. Okay. So, uh, but just the uh, but the idea of it being that you that you understand so much more about your own language when you have to learn another language, right? Because you don't think in terms of like conjugation and subjunctive and you know all these different tenses and yeah. until you have to learn another language well not only that the first time you learn a second language that's the very first time you see um that a language that language could possibly be different um and this is one of the tough things uh, especially when any whenever anything about language comes out in the news people like well especially americans where a lot of english-speaking americans are kind of monolingual um yeah you go to europe and everyone's it's no big deal everyone speaks five languages and then here we're like i can say some words in french and then the rest of the americans are like you're so continental or like (laughs) escargot yeah it's good oh gosh anyway um sorry where was i all right 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 so yeah you figure out that other languages can do things differently um, and then, you know, it's at that point that you realize, well, if they can do this differently, they could probably do lots of other things differently as well. And so you start to it, it just really kind of expands your mind. Um, and I think really the most important part is learning the first second language, because after that happens, like, well, it, it doesn't surprise you if other languages do things radically differently, because now, you know, that's a possibility beforehand. Um, language is synonymous with whatever your first language is. And, and often it doesn't occur to people that languages could do anything differently. I, I would imagine that English is probably, like spoken English is probably the hardest language to learn because so much of it's colloquial and there aren't really sp- specific rules for things. It's like, oh, this is just sort of a, this sort of memed through, you know, and became colloquial and there's not really a... Oh, Scottish bet, people I like bet Mandarin crazy, stuff. Though. Well, like Scottish people because they like they just have a lot of their terms are just rhyming from something that like they're they're rhyming off of something they're referencing. Oh wow! Yeah, Scottish rap. <laughs> yeah, Scottish rap. Well, it's like you know about. when Kumail went there, he said like you know it's like a lot of people just will just like they'll say things, but they'll just be, they won't be saying the word they mean. They'll be doing the rhyming word for it. 
Uh, oh, right, 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 yeah. right, right, right. Well, in, in English, it just depends. Um, you know, if you change the way that you're learning things. So, like uh, a lot of times in English, you know, it's not sufficient simply to learn a verb. You have to learn a verb, and it's uh, and it's you know concomitant preposition to figure out how it works. So you you can learn a word like you can learn a verb like pick, but that's not going to. You have to also learn you know pick out, pick on, pick up, pick at. Um, and then it's all, in all its uh, various contexts. Pick off, um, you know. What's the so, easiest way to learn a language? Uh, Just to be speaking it? Uh, Rosetta Stone. No. This episode was brought to you by <laughs> Rosetta Stone. Don't give them free plugs oh, until we have a stack of Rosetta Stone CD-ROMs. Oh, here's, Rosetta Stones. Here, here's, my, you know, here's my free plug. I think Duolingo is better. Um, it's a new online thing. Basically, it treats language learning almost like a video game. You can level up and stuff. And uh, Duolingo, Duolingo, yeah. All right, it's pretty cool. Done. Uh, yeah. I'm fucking Japanese is next. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think the 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 best way, if you really want to learn it to fluency, you got to just go there and use it. Uh, one of the one of the most difficult things, I think, especially for um, you know a lot of people that take second language courses in high school, is uh, there's really no motivation for using the language and so it kind of just remains dormant and sometimes you know your your fluency can fall off if you don't have a reason to continue to use the language or anybody with whom to speak it or any practical purpose for it it just kind of goes into the part of your brain where trivia goes and um and so uh, you know language just like anything else it's it's patterns of you know repeated patterns of usage and so in order to get better and better at it you have to keep doing it and doing it it's um it's, it's kind of like uh you know like uh, older especially older video games you know like you know like side scrollers ninja gaiden type things like if you ever sat down with one of those now after you haven't played them for a while it's like oh my god you just die again and again and again <laughs> until eventually you learn okay at this point in level one i gotta uh, 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 and then it's like you, you just find the to, patterns yeah yeah, well, I, I I think one of the hard, the, probably the hardest thing is that once you've already sort of solidified your main language, mm. and then someone else starts teaching you another language, you you're not associating those foreign to you words with objects. You're going, oh, agua means water, which is this thing. Like you, you're yeah. not you're not you're not going straight to the you're not you're not going straight to the referent. You know, like you're you're processing it through this other part of your brain to get through the language that you already know to then anchor it to the thing. Right. Yeah. And um, the, the one of the tough things is that uh, teachers always tell you it's like uh, I'll tell you don't do that. You know, don't translate to English. But it's like that. It's not super helpful. You can't just tell somebody don't do that and then it's like oh. All right, <laughs> it, Done. Doesn't, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. Uh, usually, I, I think the thing that works better is to just do it in context. So, like you know, it, it's the same thing for if you are learning a new game, and you know there will be words for particular things that happen in the game, um, and suddenly you'll just be you know you'll you'll just be um, using the new terminology because you know exactly what it stands for in that context. And I'm kind of uh, like you know, long here because I'm trying to. Uh, oh yeah, that was a word I didn't know. It's Bioshock funny. Infinite, vigors. What? Oh, wait, 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 wait. Are you talking about the vigorish? Because that's a word I didn't know. No, no, okay. vigors in okay, Bioshock yeah. Infinite are basically okay. they they basically um, give you powers. They're basically these elixirs that give you powers, and uh, so right. they give you vigor. They give you well. They give you yeah. Do they supernatural give you vim? vigor. No, they're not. They're not called vims. <laughs> they're, they're, they're called vigors. Uh, uh, Dianetics and uh, Scientology, they made up a lot of terms, too. There's a lot yeah. of terms in there. You have yeah. to learn them when you it's work not, at the Arclight. It's not they, it's one guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when you worked at the Arclight, you had to learn a bunch of yeah, that stuff. Qual, right? it's the essence of the environment. Whoa! Yeah, that's why uh, like managers are not managers, they're QCs, Qual coordinators. They help coordinate the essence of the environment. So, so creating a language, much in the same way that you wanted to have this mini community with your significant other i mean yeah. the importance of having a language is is do you think is also to keep outsiders on the outside yeah. basically well it depends like it depends you know why you want to create the language for so that's one of the one of the purposes for creating a language um except that uh, the people that i know who have gotten the furthest with it actually Kind of hope other people will speak the language. There, there are some, there are some people I know that are fluent in their created languages. Their vocabularies tend to be the largest. Um, well, this I, is so interesting. I never, one of those I never thought of a bunch of people like trying to create their own languages and then getting them to spread. It's almost like 
It, yeah, it, 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 it's not going to... It's, it's not like trying to create a viral video with words. <laughs> it, it's not something that will Talk enjoy to. a lot of success. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, it, it just depends on what they want. So, you know, like what, when I'm creating a, a language like for a show, obviously it's a different purpose. It's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a piece of the setting, except it's the linguistic setting. It's filling out that background. And so everything that I do is to make it authentic within that context, you know, as opposed to learning it, um, which I don't, which I'm really lazy and bad about. So I, is there an, I should be able to just is there an, off Dothraki, but I can't. Is there an ethics to language creation? Like, is there any sort of, you have a responsibility as someone who's creating a language to do this or this or this? There ought to be. Really? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, okay. So most of the time when, when people were hired to create languages, it was the first language they'd ever created in their life. They'd never ever heard of the idea of creating a language. Um, but often the, um, the level of sophistication of those who were asking for the language is uh, so low with respect to language that you know pretty much anything that they were going to come up with would be fantastic. Um, you know, what... I, I came from a different background. You know, I, I came from the language creation community where there's uh, you know, thousands of us, and uh, we, we all really just communicate online. Nobody really knew that other people were creating languages before the Internet. So this is, the community is a really recent phenomenon from the, you know, the early to mid-'90s. Um, and basically, you know, once people started communicating, they started looking at other people's work. They started learning from it. They started getting better and better at it. And so, um, you know, our thought is, you know, when you're trying, when, when you're put in a position like I am, you know, you do the best job possible. Um, and that entails using some of the skills that we built up, using some of the skills that we've learned in order to produce a quality product. So that um, hopefully some point in time in the future, when the entire world is just, you know, really, really, you know, good with looking at a language and telling its quality, it'll be able to say, yeah, that one was good. <laughs> Do you think it's possible for someone just to invent a language right now and then all of a sudden that actually becomes a language that is, I mean, I, I don't know, I guess I just think, well, there's a bunch of languages that are sort of grandfathered in, and then we sort of have the ever-evolving colloquial language you know, just the way that, you know, I know the way we speak now is different than the way we spoke 50 years ago. Well, don't, um, don't languages just stem from isolation anyway? I mean, of the spread and communication of people, I mean, just we couldn't travel very far, so we had to all talk this sort of, you know, and then as traveling, I feel like... Do you see the, yeah, Blade, do you see the Blade Runner thing happening where there's the language of like a mishmash of English and Spanish and Japanese and... Well, no, I don't see that happening. Um, but uh, A replicant would never fool him. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I do see what, what, what will happen is that there will be, you know, languages that... Um, I mean, it, it's happening already. There are languages that are dying off by the dozens, you know. Yeah, the, I, I was listening to a story recently uh, and it's like a remote part of... India, northern India, and it's just an entire language all into their own, but there's not that many people who are, you know, learning it. It's just like kind of like the, you know, yeah. the, the grandparents all know it, but it's like everyone's kind of assimilating out. And so there's like people there trying to just transcribe the entire language just so it's not lost forever. Yeah. I mean, Hawaiian could easily go away. Yeah. Yeah. The amount of people that know Hawaiian. And we'd be better off for it. Hawaiian, hey, come on. Hawaiian's still enjoying a lot of <laughs> success <laughs> in certain places really like Nihau. But. Um, so what happens, you know, like when a language dies, let's say, like um, like Ayapaneco in, in Mexico, what happens is that, you know, originally you have a, a, a huge uh, language, a huge community of speakers. Um, and the reason is that that it dies is because that ec that language becomes uh, economically not uh, disadvantaged, but not advantageous. So, you know, as people need to... Um, start working they need to you know take care of their families they need to get jobs there's probably going to be a larger community somewhere else that they're going to need to go to where everybody speaks one language and so what happens is people slowly drop off and start learning the other language and there becomes no economic motivation for them to maintain their own language and in fact uh, often um, if you if you hear from the speakers of, uh, of dying languages um, you get a lot of a lot of what we hear in reverse. So, you know, people will say, oh, this is so sad. Languages are dying off. Um, you know, every single day we need to do everything we can to preserve them. But you go and talk to those speakers. It's like, well, why would I speak this language? Um, you know, I, I have to earn money. 
And so, like, you know, well, at least if we're talking about I have been so that means I have to, have to, I have to learn Spanish. Right. right. So why would, I, why would I bother spending all this time maintaining and learning this language that I could only speak to with my grandparents when it's not going to be of any um, practical use to me? And so, you know, yeah, there are linguists then that go and preserve the languages, which is, which is great um, for us in that. But it's not like it's a different type of saving. So it's not like it saves the language. It preserves it the way you can preserve a butterfly by sticking a pin in it. When um, does a dialect become a language or is that not how it works? Mm, yeah, okay. So, uh, all right. Uh, there is, there are tests that you can tell, um, basically if two languages are mutually intelligible enough to be considered dialects of the same language or separate languages, but it's not as if there's any hard and fast, you know, cutoff point where you say, well, one word above this and they're dialects, one word below and they're different languages. It's sort of like how a, uh, a horse can fuck a donkey. And they can produce uh, an offspring. Yeah, but a like donkey a, a can't fuck a horse. Exactly. The no, same. They, you can. The donkey can fuck a horse. Well, it then just... my my biology is weird. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway. they create this hybridized. Like basically, it's like they obviously had a common ancestor, and they're still close enough on the tree that they can uh, procreate. But they're not so close that it's you know the offspring is still going to be a little strange because it's not you know like they're not close yeah. enough. Yeah. So they're still viable together. But not so viable that they could, you know, flourish together as a as a new species. Yeah, I was trying to think of, of examples here. You know, obviously, uh, take you know, London English versus Southern California English, and you know, we can understand each other, but they're you know clearly different dialects. Um, but then something like uh, Catalan and uh, Castilian Spanish are just are just slightly too different that they're they're different languages. There's the mutual intelligibility just doesn't work. Um, as simply as it would for somebody from Southern California and somebody from London. Well, I just remember going to different parts of Italy and just remembering some of the basic Italian that I remembered. And I'd go to one region and they'd go, uh, oh, no, no, you say it like this. And then I'd go to another region and use what they said. And they'd go, no, 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 no. It's like this. And Isn't in- it easier just not to travel? Yep. Very that's much. the that's, Myra method. I mean, I think that's what uh, <laughs> that's what Epcot Center is for. You, really, you know that. Better be taking yeah. notes on these Myra method tips uh, because Twitter does it for me. There's a book's worth in the Twitter in does the it for me. 375 <laughs> podcasts we've done. You have a book just waiting. <laughs> I know. Um, no, that'll never come out. <laughs> that's actually chapter using one. the Myra method. Yeah, yeah. Chapter one. Using of the, the Myra, Myra method. method. This book is not out. Um, so, uh, what is the hard? What do you think? <laughs> You're reading this. I failed at chapter one. What is the hardest language to learn, and why? Do you think? Oh, it's, uh, there are languages that will be harder to learn. It's based on what language you know. Um, so what your first language is. is, uh, is for example, like, um, you know, if you're a native Georgian speaker, it's probably pretty easy to learn Abkhaz. But uh, for us, learning Abkhaz is you know, pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, what a nightmare. Um, <laughs> so, like, you know, for an English speaker, uh, hard would uh, probably be something that's just really... An Asian language, since it's, mm, a, it's completely separate? No, I think, we, I think we'd have a pretty good time uh, learning uh, Mandarin or any, any dialect of Chinese. Or, um, the, the, I, I think English speakers would probably do well with it. The, the writing system is daunting, so I recommend not learning it. <laughs> the Meyer method. Yeah. I love I'll, it. I'll learn one this or the other. Great. I'll learn one or the other, but not both. That's that's my rule when it comes to Mandarin. Um, I'll learn so, how to write it or how to speak it. But uh, Japanese would be tougher than than Chinese, most certainly for an English speaker. Um, but something that would be really tough would probably be um, uh, one of the Inuktitut languages, one of the Eskimo languages. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll probably be one of the toughest ones for an English speaker. Is it because of where, like, how the sounds are produced in the mouth, or? Mm-hmm. No, no, like, come on. It, it, people are going to be better or worse at, at pronouncing a language, um, and that's kind of a separate challenge. But no, it's the structure of the language. Uh, Inuktitut, you know, they they say that it's got like a hundred words for snow, right? Yeah, really, it's just got like one word for snow. And what happens is um, you you start adding inflectional suffixes on, and you could have like you know uh, snow, and then snow plus suffix means fake snow. Another one means you know hard snow. Another one means, and you can have like a single word that means. Um, you know, uh, the the really uh, sleek and slippery snow that I slipped on when I was hunting caribou with my friend the other day, and that's a single word. Um, it's that's just the a, unproduced sequel to hard rain, hard snow. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's just a it's just a really, really very vastly different way of conceptualizing how you first of all communicate, how you put sentences together, and how you just uh, formulate thoughts. 
um, that's really alien to what English does. Oh, I feel like I remember that. You know, there was a there was a semester in in high school when our Latin teacher wanted us to learn some ancient Greek. And he said, mm. you know, he said ancient Greek is much harder than Latin because for for that specific reason, he said that there are, you know, there are some there are words and for really specific, like you know, a bead of water that would that you'd find on the top of a leaf in a certain part of the year, like you know, there, <laughs> that it's that that it's that specific that it makes it really really hard to learn. Oh yeah, I'm learning ancient Greek now. I avoided it for a long time. Uh, I'm learning Attic Greek specifically. It's it's been misrepresented. <laughs> How so? Media, I'll say that it doesn't have a middle voice. Uh, God l- damn it! It doesn't. Linguists listening to me, shame on you. It has no middle voice. It's What's a, a middle voice? Just, For I, the people listening that don't know, this is what I okay. Look, no, this, it's good that you this bring is what, them in, Jonah. Yeah. This is what I think a middle voice is. So when you say like something like you know uh, the eggs the eggs cook up nicely, that's a middle voice. It's like. The eggs are the subject, they're also the object, and they're not really doing anything. Um, but it's not, you know, in English it's not something that we have separately. It's just a, you know, it's just something that we do. Um, in in Attic Greek, at least based on my recent, and I will say semi-unprofessional opinion, it looks to me like it was an old reflexive that's just enjoyed greater and greater use as Greek age. Um, and in fact, it looks a lot like, um, if you study African languages that have a dedicated reflexive, it looks a lot like what they do. I don't know. But they call it a middle voice. So you have, because you have an active voice where the subject is, is taking the action, is yeah. taking the verb of the action. And then you have, you have a, passive a passive voice where the verb is, be, where the action is being done to the subject. Yeah. So middle voice is just like nothing's really, it's nothing's really happening. They're, they're trying to say it's something special, this middle voice. Um, but I, I am saying that even if the middle voice exists in some distinct and morphologically you know, recognizable way in some language, it's not in Greek. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you are really planting a flag today. That's Dave. right, I am. Um, Everybody fight me. Come to Twitter. The, no, go ahead. You're, you're how many uh, African languages are there? Oh, uh, just like two. No. Uh, no, there's, um, there's uh, gosh, how many African languages? More than a thousand. Um, some of the biggest groups, well, you know, um, Arabic is spoken in Africa, but it's a, it's a yeah. Middle Eastern language. It came from, from the, from the, from, you know, from the Middle East. Um, there are, there are the Bantu languages. I think, are the Chadic languages a part of Bantu? I think Bantu and Chadic may be a part of the same thing. Yeah, I think but, that's right. And then the Khoisan languages, uh, down south are probably the ones that most people will have heard of. But, um... You know, then you go into the, the, the separate subgroups. So, like, there will be the, the Fulani languages in the, in the West, Hausa up there. I think Hausa is Chadic. Good Lord, I can't remember this. I feel like a fool. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You're still sounding smarter than any of us ever have. <laughs> Splendid. Everybody, please correct me on Twitter. The, the Bantu languages, like Swahili, is probably the most well-known uh, Bantu language. Um, and it's, it's also probably got the least number of distinctive features of the Bantu languages. A lot of the Bantu languages have tone. Swahili lost it. Hmm. Um, uh, like uh, Chichewa is one that still has tone. Uh, it's from the east. And then um, the Khoisan languages in the south, those are the ones with the uh, cliques. Um, and they're, you know, cliques will show up uh, like in various languages, usually in affective ways. So, you know, we have them in English, like means you did something bad for some reason. Right. Um, but... Um, the Khoisan languages are the ones that use them as speech sounds. Um, and so uh, I'm not going to pronounce it right, but the language that's spelled um, X-H-O-S-A is um, Osa. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's one of the, that's one of the famous ones. I, I think it has three clicks in several different series. So nasalized, aspirated, voiced, voiceless. I think they have, also have a palatal one. Nasalize, aspirated voice, voices, nasalize, aspirate. We need to do some schoolhouse rock linguistic videos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nasalated and I'm also aspirated and I'm saying why, why don't you just do it for Game of Thrones and then you'll just make your viral video that you wanted so bad. That's a really great idea. <laughs> Actually, I wanted a viral language. That would really that would be really, really cool. If Schoolhouse Rock were still a thing, and mm. maybe if they revive it, I would love to see them do some like basic linguistic stuff. 
I mean, you know, yeah, I, I do know now how to multiply by three, but I think it would also be cool if kids got some basic facts about language. I think what we should do is just make one and make it as complex as possible, <laughs> but then set it to a, hey, everybody. Like, I, I saw that guy perform that at Glendale once. Oh, really? No, it's not Dave Matthews. Yeah. He, still, he still performs and he's filthy. He's nice. absolutely filthy. Really? Yeah. It's the whole Bob Saget thing. It is. It's very, it's very Saget-esque. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of Saggety. But he, um, uh, yeah, he, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, I saw him perform at a bar in Glendale once, and he was he sang some really dirty songs. But it's that voice. That voice. So you hear the voice. <laughs> like, it was just like the weirdest. <laughs> it just like the juxtaposition of those two things. What is the newest language that is fairly common? What's our youngest language? Uh, well, the youngest languages in general, um, are, if you go online, you can see all about this. One of the youngest languages they'll Leak tell you speak. about is um, uh, Nicaraguan Sign Language. I think that's a, it's a bit of a complex uh, issue. But anyway, if you're interested in looking at it, it's very interesting. Go take a look. But um, the, the youngest languages in general are uh, Creole languages. Um, so Creole, what a Creole language is, is um, we can give you an example with... Uh, what was called uh, Mel- Melanesian Pidgin English, which is now called uh, Tokpising. Uh, what happened is that there would be a plantation, and then, um, at least I think I'm, I'm telling the story of Melanesian Pidgin English here. If not, it's another one in that area. Uh, what happened on this plantation, it was run by um, English speakers, and they would go and take um, uh, able-bodied men from the various islands surrounding and bring them for a period of like 10 years and have them work and then send them back to their families. Um, That area was so linguistically diverse that you were pretty much guaranteed to not get two people that would speak the same language. Um, And so what happens is there's a bunch of of men, because they'd only take able-bodied men, they wouldn't take women. There'd be a bunch of men on this plantation that would need to communicate. I mean, they're living there for 10 years. And so what happens is they don't actually teach them English. So instead, they kind of form what was known as a pidgin language. it has English vocabulary, but only the vocabulary. The grammar um, is kind of a mix of s- some of the languages that they spoke, mm-hmm. um, because that's you know that's the language they know at yeah. this point. And so, uh, kind of grafted onto this is English vocabulary that, over a period of you know say fifty or so years, becomes like a mishmash where you know everybody's just uh, you know everybody kind of speaks their own way and maybe there's a lot of, uh, of there's a lot of gesture that accompanies it until after a long time this uh, system kind of matures and becomes a full-fledged language and at that point it becomes a creole language and um, so if you take a look at Tokpising now you'll be able to recognize a lot of the words as coming from english but they won't mean quite what they meant in english and the grammar is totally different. Um, so that if you just listen to fluent talk be seen like, you know, it's a completely different language. Do you there's, have an example? Uh, mm, I, I, won't be able to, I won't be able to do it right. Uh, talk be seen, by the way, uh, the word talk comes from talk in English and be seen comes from business. Um, it's like business speak. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Uh, so talk be seen here. Uh, I think what I said was um, these women ate these leftovers um i believe that's what i said so so they all they all they, these are all these all had roots in actual words that in, we know in english words so this you know this bella comes from fella mari comes from mary i don't know how that came to be the word for woman um and there's eat im could which, be could be religious yeah well i mean, probably i mean you know one would assume but um so then there's eat which is eat him, im which is him up from up Im, which is him again, and then we have dispelagin and seat, which comes from shit, um, because I guess that's the word for that just came to mean leftovers, dispelasit, you know, whatever's whatever's left over, just whatever kind of shit you can yeah. throw together. So grammatically, though, like what happened is, uh, especially with this verb, so we have you know, uh, um eat uh, when it became transitive, so like when you would eat something else, you would add im on the end. Uh, it came from him, but it was actually a transitive marker. It's, it marked the verb as having an object. But then we had up in there, so that kind of becomes a new verb form. So idimap becomes a new verb, and so you have to have the transitive marker on there again because there's an object. So idimapim. 
<laughs> oh, got it, got it, got it. Um, do you know much about? Uh, I'm from. Uh, I grew up in Hawaii, and okay. um, you know, pidgin English is just. They were trying yeah. real hard when I was growing up. They were trying real hard to make it into an unofficial language. Yeah, uh, it is basically just real bad English, and that's why, like you know, uh, Hawaii is like last in the country for English education because even the, like a lot of the teachers I had growing up would still speak pidgin English. And it was just uh, like, you know, to refer to something would just be Dakine, mm-hmm. like Grammy Dakine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, instead of like, let's go over to your house, uh, let's go stay your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, what, yeah, what happens with that? Okay, so that's uh, it's now called Hawaiian Creole English. Um, and there is, okay, so there's a continuum when it comes to pidgin and creole languages, right? And so with Hawaiian Creole English, the basilectical, uh, the, the basilectical uh, variety, the one that is most like or that's closest to the source, is actually quite different from the lightest form of uh, Hawaiian Creole English. Um, there was a lot more Hawaiian in it. Yeah. Um, but what happens is that uh, Creoles, especially if they're if they're if the English is used as their lexifier languages, uh, Creoles are going to end up resembling in one another a lot. Um, and so what happened, like. With uh, with Hawaiian, a lot, all, um, it, it took stay as its um, how do you call this locative copula. Um, so uh, anytime that you have the word to be, but you're talking about it's some place, yeah, you'd say you'd use stay, and that's uh, very similar to a lot of other uh, pidgin and Creole languages um, that use English as its lexifier. A lot of times they, they'll take something as their locative copula. I'm just trying to think of, a, of another one. I want to say day. Uh, is a common one, um, but yeah. So uh, that's why you say like um, you know, you know, you know, that kind of needs stay on table or something, yeah. as opposed to like you know, he stay teacher. Like yeah, just ooh. so anyway. The, the the point here is that there are, there's rules and system systematicity to it. It's just different from English. Yeah. Um, and really though, I think that. Uh, in a situation of Hawaiian, I think recognizing it as a language would probably be for the best because then you could all you're pointing up is the fact that it's different from English, and so then it's like, well, you can learn this or learn this or learn both, right? Yeah. That way, at least you can distinguish as opposed to you know just treating it all. But do as language the same thing. do languages evolve? Do languages evolve from essentially accepted mistakes? Oh, yeah. Or just like, oh, these people just didn't really know. These people didn't really know what that actually was, and so they just it was it becomes like a mutation. Well, because it was yeah. so many different cultures on the plantations, just like how he was talking about on the sugar plant, sugarcane plantations in mm-hmm. Hawaii. So, and like, it's like basically, it's like you can track the language of pigeon, uh, Hawaiian Creole pigeon or whatever, um, with the same as the, like the the food in Hawaii. Just as like the languages all got blended together, the food was also like you know there's like all the food in Hawaii is just basically a, like you know it's kind of Japanese, kind of Filipino, kind of American, you know, kind so of Portuguese. So it's, ju- it's, it's just it's it's essentially just as an outgrowth of of the cultural mashup as anything else, clothes, food, yeah, and everything else. Yeah, it's like you know it's customs. Uh, you know, every, like there would be you know you know you wear Aloha shirt, but you have Filipino pants. Right. You know, there was like a lot of that growing up. Aloha shirt and Filipino pants. Katie, can we get a time code on that? <laughs> Matt doesn't get to ask for time codes. Uh, um, so, well, here's the thing. With language, what happens is that people will use it, and then there will be innovations, and those innovations will slowly solidify until people don't recognize them as innovations any longer. Like, uh, So you studied Latin then. Mm-hmm. You know where all the all the romance languages got their future from. Remember, Latin used to have a dedicated future tense that just didn't survive. Um, if you look at any of the future tenses, future tenses of a uh, of a modern romance language, like you know French or Spanish, if you look at them, you can actually separate them into um, infinitive plus a conjugated form of the verb to have. Right, haber. And that's because what happened was people stopped using the future tense. It was too complicated. Instead, used a form that was kind of like in English where you say, I have to go. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there they just started using that. And then it lost its obligative force. In English, it still has it. So you say, like, I have to eat now. It means I need to eat. It lost its obligative force and slowly coalesced and just became a simple future tense. And so now you say, you know, I have to eat. Except that that now is being treated as too complex, and so it's getting replaced, at least in Spanish, by the go future. So now you say, me voy a comer. 
you know. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way you say it. I'm going to eat. And comeré has special uses now. And uh, if things keep going, you know, probably die too. Yeah, there are infinitive verbs in Italian too, where you like yep. dare or you know, like some that you put in front of another, you know, like a verb to give it a specific, yeah, specific and you, meaning. And you actually still have those in, in those languages, except that now, it, it, back then when it was Latin, of course, the conjugated verb would come at the end of the infinitive, which is why you have comer e in Spanish and not e comer. Whereas like now in Spanish, you could say like, I don't know, I have eaten um, joy comido, you know, now it comes in the front. <laughs> <laughs> where does where is language go? Like where where do you think English is going to be in fifty or a hundred years? I mean, is it okay? Well, this is where I can benefit from the fact that I'm not a linguist who works at a university anymore. I don't have to be responsible. I uh, so I'm just going to say that I think that the the level of communication that we have is going to um, prevent the kind of language change that we've seen in the past. Because there is always going to be motivation for people to want to have access to the stuff that we're producing right now and to be able to communicate with a wide, you know, diverse population. So it makes less sense for, um, you know, like American English to keep going and to become totally different from British English when you can be in constant and immediate contact with pretty much everybody all over the world at any time if you want to be. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and not only that, um, like, can you imagine if, um, you know, a hundred years from now, we couldn't even understand the English of movies from the 1930s? Um, that would be a real loss. And it seems like it's not going to there's not going to be any point in time where suddenly all that material is lost for a long enough time that people won't care about it. I think people are probably going to be wanting to watch Casablanca for a long time. Right. So um, there's always going to be motivation, uh, even if not uh, economic, just cultural motivation to retain some form of the language as it exists. Um, you know, slang is going. Slang always comes and goes. Like, uh, and that, and that, and that's just going. It's, it's ephemeral, though. It's deep structural change that really prevents um, people from accessing older bits of a language. Like, um, you know, if you go to, uh, if you go to Chaucer, you can, you can still kind of read it. Um, but if you go to Beowulf, you can't read it. It's just, it's just a completely different language. Um, has the internet accelerated, or has it, has it? It, has it decelerated the process? I mean, like, since we're all, since, you know, we're all essentially a localized global community, mm. has that, has that sort of rooted the existing languages that we have from evolving too much because we're all communicated, like, we're not isolated and sort of going off all in our own directions anymore? Well, that's, that's kind of the idea. I mean, um, at least structurally. Of course, uh, you know, new vocabulary is always going to pop up. New, like new slang, especially on the, on the internet. YOLO. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I had no idea what that meant. Or, or you know what another one I didn't know what it meant? Um, SMH. What's that? Shaking my head. Oh. oh. <laughs> I've not heard that we one. We didn't know oh, that either. Really? Oh, man. Jump text speak. I feel, like te I feel like lead speak and text, text speak are going to yeah. fucking ruin everything. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, which it is the fact it, that people say OMG it. now. They say it. Right. They don't say, oh, my gosh, or, oh, my God. WT fuck is that about? Well, I know. But, but you know, if, if you go back to movies from, like, uh, movies from, like, the, the early 90s or, or late 80s that show, like, you know, young teenagers using, like, all this slang. Uh, Shaw. Bitchin'. Yeah. yeah it, it, you know, they, they do stuff. It, it just goes. Like, um, now it almost seems like the, the shelf life of, of terms is uh, even shorter because suddenly people get, you know, they they th they see it, they think it's cool, they start using it, then they immediately get tired of yeah, it. Yeah, because so their like, parents start using it. Yeah, so like, well, it dates things. So rad, I think, you know, was around for a while. It's back. Yeah. Oh, it's not rad. It is. I not. use rad all the time. I do too. It's pretty rad. No, and I've, I've used it consistent. I use it pretty consistently. I do too. It's fucking rad, David. Yeah. You know what? I just ended it right now. No, Nobody David. Said it no more. That's not, not rad, David. That's not rad. Not rad. Not rad at all. Anyway, but like, think about like the Harlem Shake. I remember the first time I heard about that, it was like, oh, man, this is uh, – I was just over at a friend's house. I was like, oh, you got to check out these videos. It's hilarious. These are the latest things. It was like – I think it was two days later. That one People burned were fast. already saying I like, you know, gosh, aren't you getting tired of the Harlem Shake? That burned days. out fast. Yeah. 
And, and you see the same thing that's happening with terminology. Uh, it just becomes so uncool so quickly that it's just going to be a constant cycle. So we're, uh, we're, we're addicted to inno- we're also addicted to innovation, too. And I think not only oh, yeah. do you see that with language, but with technology. And it's like, you know, oh, I have a phone and six months later I want a newer one. You know, yeah. it's like it's constantly we're constantly trying to refresh. We are we've become a refresh culture. Um, what is the most com- what is what is the, the most widespread language on the earth? Mm. Is it something like Hindu or Do is you it wanna, like by numbers? Yeah. Numbers, it would be Chinese. Yeah, I think it, it, Probably it would Chinese. be Mandarin. Well, if especially well, definitely if you if you want to lump in things like Cantonese into the umbrella of Chinese, which I think the, the Chinese government wants to do, but they're actually different languages. Um, Probably Mandarin, but uh, as far as, uh, I mean, lots of people just speak English, not necessarily natively, but as a second language, I mean, English is huge. Uh, but, you know, your, your biggies are uh, English, French, Mandarin, um, uh, Spanish, and Japanese, I would say. Well, I want to get a little, before we, uh, I think within the last chunk of time that we have, just sort of figure out, I, I want you to explain a little bit how you create, mm. like, let's just take Dothraki because I would imagine that most people listening to the podcast probably have seen Game of Thrones. Right. So, how, you know, where do you start with a language like that? Do you start with structure or do you start with, with word, with vocabulary or do you, do you look at the characters and go, they probably would talk like this based on their environment because of, you yeah. know. All right. So Dothraki, of course, was a little different. It's like even different from High Valyrian because there was um, a lot of material in the books and they wanted to make sure that everything that was in the books would still remain correct after I had created the language. So I had to start there and look at what uh, George R. R. Martin had, analyze it, figure it out, and then basically support it, build up a structure. How did he do with creating a language? He did all right. Oh, go right. Yeah, no, it's like especially for his method, which was just to make it up on the spot. He did incredibly well. Most authors are terrible. Just, just awful, 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 awful. What listening, Tolkien? What makes a bad Tolkien was good? Shit, if you are, that's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) He's with us. He was. He was good. He, he, of course, he. You know, he was a language creator first. Tolkien was. Um, he created a whole bunch of languages and then decided, well, they, they need a place to be spoken, and so he wrote the books. It's so, true. It's so the, the stories basically were just a justification for the languages. Yes. Jesus, that's mm, fucking amazing. Wow. Yeah. Anyway. That's rad, David. There's no other word that's abs- other than rad. That's, bo- that's baddical. <laughs> no, I like it. I use that too. Like Radbatical. Uh, bossa Nova. Chevy Nova? Anybody? Chevy Nova. I'll use it. Excellent. All right. All right. Um, so, okay. So then with that, you know, I had to figure out what it was. Um, and then that determined a few things. Uh, for example, it determined that uh, adjectives were going to come after verbs, um, that the word order was probably SVO, uh, subject, verb, object. And so what it was painting the picture of was a head initial language. And a head initial language where the, uh, the relative clause will come after the noun that it modifies. The, um, the possessive clause will come after the thing. So it's that's why you say, you know, arachani, uh, my, or arach, my, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, from there, it's kind of like, it was really just a matter of filling out the structure. Um, and, and the same goes with, the, with the, the pronunciation, basically. I looked at all the sounds that, w- that he had in the books and then figured out what gaps there were. Um, I think probably one of my only additions was uh, ch. Uh, I just felt like it should be there based on everything else that was there. Um, and then... Um, you know, once I kind of uh, filled out that structure, then it was just a matter of filling out uh, the vocabulary. Uh, the vocabulary is where the cultural bits come in. Um, you know, they where where I figure out you know what type of technology they have access to, what uh, what a day in their life would be like, what types of things they would have a regular interaction with, and so what things they would have words for, what would be core vocabulary, and what wouldn't. Anyway, um, and then of course uh, for all of this, um, what I did was I went back. And I engineered uh, a proto-language, so a language that Dothraki would have descended from. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, you gotta do that. You gotta do that. <laughs> yeah, you gotta do that. You gotta do it. Yeah. We'll see. The, the you gotta give is, it a backstory? Yeah, the natural languages, the way they are, it's like they're filled with irregularities and bizarre things. Like, you know, mouse mice? Yeah. Com- completely explicable if you look at the history of English. Uh, at one time, it was completely regular. It was just moose, and then you add the plural e at the end and so it was moose and moosey but then because of the sound changes that happened throughout the years moose became mouse and moosey became mice 
And that's how you got that. Oh. What the fuck? Yeah, I know. English did that a lot. So, um, you know, in order to produce uh, irregularities that look uh, realistic and authentic, as opposed to just random, you have to go back and engineer them to make sure, you know, just basically have to evolve them over a period of years to make sure that they look right and work right. Um, and yeah, so that's... Uh, so what was the Dothraki ancestral language? Uh, I call it protoplanes. I don't know why it just felt right. It, 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 it's, it's not like, you know, it has a, a name. That's, it, you know, it's it, even in the context of the books, it is a proto-language in that um, nobody would have spoken it. I'm sorry, not, not that. Uh, nobody in the world would know that it was spoken. So it is at some point in time way off in the distant past. So it's like a construct, mm-hmm. as it were, as opposed to with uh, High Valyrian, where High Valyrian itself is a proto-language for something like Astapori Valyrian. And then, of course, High Valyrian itself also had an earlier form, which I had to create, but that was the proto-construct. And then High Valyrian served as the proto-language for Astroporian Valyrian and so on. Um, yeah, and that's, that's, that's kind of what I do. Holy shit. Yeah, it's fun. Now, do you, you know, with, uh, with fan sites online, are there people who have expanded the language using your rules and have they done a good job or or have you seen stuff where you're like, nah, that's actually not... <laughs> no, they, they haven't expanded it. They've tried to... Um, transcribe it as best they could you know so they um yeah i i i talk with with the fans at all they're like you know five of them so (laughs) but uh yeah there's like there's the dothraki fan site dothraki.org and right now they're just putting together the dictionary for um high valyrian and and astapori valyrian um and they're doing a pretty good job like uh, one of the guys i I, um i don't know if you want me to give his real name or his handle give his handle mad latinist Mad Latinist, he, and he does study Latin. He's been... He um, just got an erection. <laughs> he's been studying, uh, or he's been transcribing... Durham, try, Durham. Trying his best Latin. to uh, transcribe um, all, of the, um, all, of the, all of the dialogue that was in season three. Um, and then, you know, as, as the season's gone on, I've also, uh, you know, uh, put out information about, you know, how exactly it works. So... Um, you know, um, he's he's getting better and better at it. Uh, a friend of mine, actually, uh, Christian Tomlin, he's another uh, language creator. He was really good at at figuring out what I was doing with a little amount of information. But uh, you know, he's a language creator. I expect that. <laughs> are you are you sort of are, are you are you a sleuth in the sense that you can hear a couple words from a language and then understand most of what that language is about structurally? Probably need at least. You probably need a sentence. You probably, or, you know what? Yeah, the, a couple of sentences. Yeah, you can figure it out. Do you think that the universal translator from Star Trek is realistic? Uh, can you make one for me? Mm, wouldn't that be nice? All right, or so, the earworm from Hitchhiker's Guide? So, yeah. ah, <laughs> much more realistic. I'm sure that animal exists. Or All just, right. or just the TARDIS, which basically just naturally translates because you have a connection That's, to it. Who's had? Who had the best one? What? Who are the best one out of the three of us? Well, the, the, the earworm is, is a... Hold is on, a, yeah. hold on. Okay. No, no, I... I, I the, 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 the Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, no, no, okay. So here's the thing with the Universal <laughs> Translator. It is an amazing device because the way that it works, especially in, in the next generation, is just fascinating because they can turn it off um, somehow, magically. So, like, you know, Worf can say, the Klingon word for... Mm-hmm, is yeah. And it's like, if that were really working... It should be like the Kling, the Klingon word for bat is bat. Think right. about it. Yeah, if it right. were really working, that's what right. you'd hear. But so it's like you can like manually, and I don't know if it's the hearer or the listener who does this. They can just with their mind say, okay, now I want to, I want them to actually hear the language. Right. Yeah. So you don't realize the universal translator. Everybody's got one in their head, just implanted. Yeah. Yeah. Ready to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah, then they should never ever hear any other languages. Yeah, or, like in either that or unless uh, it's a Google, right. unless it's a Google Glass type of thing where it's like you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or I think it was just the writers were like, "Well, we should probably. This would sound really cool if there was Klingon here." Sure. How good is Klingon as a language? Uh, well, first of all, let me mention in the Next Generation they didn't use any like actual Klingon uh, beyond the first season. So I, I met Mark Okren recently. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Next Generation, so I was asking him about it, and he says, like, well, I was doing work for Star Trek V, I want to say, and like as they were doing the Next Generation, they would, you know, ask me for translations, and they'd say, you know, like, uh, how would you, how would you say this? How would you say this? And like, he'd give them a translation, and then like it got to a point where like I kept on asking him, and he said, like, 
yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to translate for you on the show, but if, you know, you're going to keep asking me this, you know, my agent is going to be happy unless you, you know, let him know. And we set something up formally. I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay, we'll do that. And then, like, he never heard back from me. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's so, really funny. So it was so just, just a bought a issue. copy of the dictionary and yes, tried the they, best they, they could. That is exactly what they did. Yep. They had, they had the, the dictionary had come out. They bought a copy of it. They did their best, and they just butchered it. Like, everything, I guess, just, it's just not even close. Um, it's, it's it's disappointing. I'm sure uh, there's some sort of retcon explanation for why. Oh well, no, but this language, like then there was the. It's probably Ron Moore's fault, right? He wrote all those Klingon scripts. What? Ronald Moore, oh. Ronald D. Moore. He wrote most of the Klingon-centric episodes. Anyway, let's track him down. <laughs> he, well, he, I'm I'm sure he invented the name Kalos, even though Kalos, there's no K in Klingon. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. The how they say those their are, own name. Some good episodes. Um, it's uh, the 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 sound at the beginning of the word Klingon is actually a, a, an aspirated. Let me get this right. It's an aspirated um, uh, alveolar lateral a, uh, approximate, or Af- I'm sorry, alveolar lateral affricate. So it's um tla, tla. Ah. So, so it's not even, it's not a K. It's a tla. It's a Klingon. Nice. Oh wow. Yeah. Sounds real. It's because it is, Jonah. It's real. It's in all of us. Well, it's weird. I never really noticed the difference from like someone actually saying it on the show and just saying Klingon until just that moment right there, where it actually. So now you're going to be a big fan of Next Gen? No, probably not. Okay. (laughs) Wait, are you not a fan of the Next Generation? No, no, I'm not. Earth is your problem. It's television, and it's fabulous television. Yeah, it's more like a stage play that's on TV. Real boring. (laughs) So it makes it great. Yeah, I like it. No, I know. I'm sure it's great. I just no, it's, it's fantastic. Not my no, thing. Being wrong right now. Yeah. I don't understand why you would. Uh, you're, just, you're just a just a two and a half man kind of guy. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, like it's kind of gone downhill. So I'm really into anger management right now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on board with that. Chuck Sheen is where it's at. <laughs> it's a stage the play, mushroom. so it's kind of boring. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the same problem I have with early Doctor Who. Hey, let's walk over there in real time. <laughs> well, how are they going to know how they got Attention out of the room? Attention spans yeah. were different back then. They sure and were. Budgets were lower. Yeah. How, do, how do you say I have to pee in Klingon? Uh, in, in Klingon? No, I have no idea. Okay, go. In Dothraki. Pick any in language. In Dothraki. Navilet. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, that is amazing. And that's what I have to do. I'll be right back. They're gonna people. We're about wrapping up. This is this was our hour. Oh, if you want to just wait till the end. Yeah, I can try. I've been waiting for. Somebody got to take a pee pee. I had to pee since beforehand. I've had to pee since like '95. You guys, it's a guy who has to one up everyone. Yeah, <laughs> I have to pee too. The next level of terror. <laughs> I have to pee three to search for Spock? No. <laughs> I had to pee before any of you guys thought it was cool. <laughs> you fucking piss hipster. Yeah, I bet. That's very Boston Nova Chevy Nova. Yeah, you call me a pister. Um, I was just trying to think. Is there a, uh, so, is, so where can people find you online? Uh, let's see. Well, you can go to Dothraki.com. I put up uh, blog posts there. And then on, on Twitter, I'm, I'm stuck with this handle. I apologize. But it's Daedalus, and the U is spelled with a V. D-E-D-A-L-V-S. That's how the Romans would have carved it onto stone. You bet it was. That's why I did it. <laughs> Roman Twitter. When they had the Roman Twitter wall. <laughs> the Roman Twitter wall. <laughs> you know, I gotta tell you. Oh, the Twitter wall. At Socrates. <laughs> At Playboy Man yeah. says, Sarah, you look great. Yeah. It's a way inside baseball. At Socrates. I think you should go to the emergency room. <laughs> uh, that that scene in my At Latin. <laughs> 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 Jonah Ray, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, to fantastic! God. The uh, uh, in Latin Latin class, my third year Latin class, we he showed us uh, Life of Brian. Our professor oh, showed us Life of yeah. Brian for that whole yeah. when he's writing the when he's doing the graffiti and they're doing all That's the tenses, and we f- we laughed so hard <laughs> when he was going through all the conjugations. No, that was, that, that's, that's incredible. The vocative, the vocative. <laughs> uh, I'll slit your throat. <laughs> Um, but, uh, uh, so what, how would you tell people, uh, enjoy your burrito in Dothraki? Do you have any idea? Do they have, well, like they must have a word for a small donkey. Do they have a word for a small donkey? A small donkey? A small horse? Uh, well, no, but, but a burrito, but a burrito is since tiny like, donkey, a, like isn't a food it? But it means, it does, it's like, a, it's a tiny donkey, yeah, yeah. but it's. Yeah. But if there's like a if there's if they have a food that's like no, no, like the burrito, I want the translation. No, but that's not. But it's, but just, it's used, just gonna it's say used colloquially. It's used colloquially. Yeah. And how does it look, maybe? 
من الاجابه التي اردت ان اردت ان اردت ان Mel Gibson tried his best. <laughs> <laughs> That's a language, all right. It's Aramaic. <laughs> Fallen. It's been a while. Sorry. <laughs> Matt Sorry. Go P. Thank Sorry. you. <laughs> I prefer Falling Down, Michael Douglas's movie. Oh, I saw yeah. that. Defense. The Iron Maiden song that they did based on Falling Down was a disappointment, though, I will say. No. Uh, All iterations that, of Falling Down are a disappointment. That, well, that entire era of Iron Maiden was a real disappointment. Um, but, you know, Blaze Bailey, if you're listening, I, I think you're a fantastic gentleman. I, I really think the world of you, but um, I, I'm not a big fan of the recordings that you did with Iron Maiden. I apologize. Ooh. Um, throw down. Shots fired. I'm sure he's a good guy. I'm sure he's a good guy. You just got know. yourself a Twitter war. Son, <laughs> at Daedalus with oh, a V. Radical. Uh, he's probably a nice guy, too. <laughs> so, wait, say it one more time in, in Dothraki so I can repeat it. Okay, wait, wait. Enjoy your burrito, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, syllable by syllable. Anhazalak. Anhazalak. Meme alayafa. Meme alayafa. Yera. Yera. Jean Burrito. Jean Burrito. There you go. Ah, do it all in a row. I say we let him go. No. That's a uh, literally. I hope it. I hope it pleases you. This burrito. Oh, uh, that could to be taken a lot of ways. <laughs> <laughs> now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail, or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand Drunk Elephant was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them, in each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.